Today's episode is brought to you by the Texas Exes Houston Chapters Annual Texas Off Week Golf Open. You can register for that at www.texasexes.com. Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burnt Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton. Get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. We are wherever you want to find podcasts, so go ahead and share that link with someone you Love Another thing is that our podcast host, Podian, is offering all of our listeners a free 14-day trial and 25% off their first three months of a premium membership. All you got to do is go to podiant.co, that's P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O, sign up using the offer code Longhorn. Now, it makes it so much easier to start a podcast. You record it, you edit it, upload it, they take care of the rest. So again, if you want to start your own podcast, get a 14-day free trial of premium services and 25% off your first three months. All you got to do is go to podiant, P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O, sign up using the offer code Longhorn. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by my good friend, the illest, the realist, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you doing, bud? Oh, I'm doing well. Uh, just tested out the uh, heater in the new house, and it works. First time I've needed it. I've only been here a couple of weeks, but first time I've actually needed the heater. The seasons are changing it feels like fall the air is a little crisp i'm heading up to my uh, my grandfather's birthday up in pennsylvania this week where the high projected i think is like 40 um so it's going to be uh it's going to be a quick acclimation with the colder colder weather but uh, otherwise i am uh, i'm doing wonderful man how about yourself i'm doing great you know i i do love this like fall weather that's Honestly, outside of like meeting my wife and getting, you know, having a kid and all that good stuff, one of the coolest things about living in Oklahoma is the fact that like I get to experience fall. Like it doesn't just go like, you know, summer to winter for six days and then back to summer like it does in South Texas. Uh, but yeah, no, shorts and a hoodie is like basketball shorts and a hoodie is my favorite thing in the world. So uh, I, I'm really enjoying this cold snap. If it would dry out so I can mow my lawn, it's been raining for about 64 days here in Oklahoma, though. Uh, so we have got a bit of a show for you tonight. We're going to do a quick Baylor recap. You'd think it'd be a quick show uh, because we have a bye week, but. Kyle and I live to defy odds. So we'll do a Baylor recap. We'll bring on uh, Cody Daniel, my my boss, the man, the myth, the legend, to talk a bit of recruiting. And then we'll kind of segue from there to talk a little bit about what does Texas do for the next five games of their season. We've got a little bit of news for you, and then we'll close it out with some bang the drum. So Texas goes into a game as a favorite, two scores. Vegas thinks they're two scores better than Baylor. And like Texas has done all year, they find a way to make a what should be a slam dunk game into a nail biter. Literally, it took until the last play of the game for Texas to close it out. But they managed to hold off uh, the Baylor Bears 23-17. Granted, Sam Ellinger did get hurt early on. Uh, but Kyle, what? What did you see in this game uh, that that made you at least feel a little good that Texas was able to to hold on to a narrow six point uh, six point win? 
Uh, ugly wins are better than than moral victories. Uh, I've I've been saying that for a long time. Uh, I will take six and one and not looking great than as opposed to a, a three and three year where wow we looked every, we looked great you know with offense clicked the defense didn't do it or the defense was world beaters but we averaged you know uh, three point one plays per possession. So uh, I will take this um, right off the top. I like ugly wins better than those those but. Um, there were some things to take away. I think the, the biggest one, obviously, is Ellinger, and and I think we can get in and talk about what the prognosis and kind of things look like him. But the biggest one was that he wasn't there. Um, team looked pretty good in the first drive. Kind of the scripted offense, of course, uh, was drawn up to his strengths. Uh, as soon as he went out, it kind of stalled out a little bit, and we we saw. Um, I won't say a terrible game from from the veteran backup who's who's played a lot in his career as well, uh, Shane Bouchelle, um, but we definitely saw a step back. Um, and and I'll just ask you before we go any further, Gerald, um, how do you like your crow? Do you like it seasoned, fried, um, tenderized? You know, you do a little um, a light sprinkling. Maybe I like some dill on mine, a little a little kick to it. How do you like to eat your crow? I- I'm a I'm a uh, a twice battered twice fried kind of guy. Let's, let's okay. get southern fried. Uh, yeah, no, it it hurts, doesn't it, Kyle? Just a little bit, it hurts. Uh, humility has not always been my strongest suit, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm willing to admit that both you and I kind of were, were were team Bush coming into here. We we said on this podcast that we thought. Um, if Bouchelle is the quarterback, it means that the offense can do more and is better, and he's the quarterback who can uh, make it hum. Ellinger is your quarterback to kind of get you out of jams, and we, we kind of really stuck to that. And, and maybe that was the case in week one, but it really looked like you saw how much Ellinger has grown this year um, and, and really throughout his, his career, but you know from, from week one to now, um, versus where Bouchelle looked exactly like the, the quarterback we saw last year, and maybe even – a rusty version of that. So, um, you know, I think at this point it's very clear who QB one is on campus. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but I mean, what'd you think if you had to give him, give him a grade, would you think, uh, how did Bouchelle do, um, in his first game and, and really first only minutes, he hasn't seen even a uh, victory formation, only minutes of the season so far. It's, it's so hard to grade it out because like you said, he hasn't had a, if I recall, a single snap before this game. So, I mean, seven games in, you've got to knock the rust off, but he threw an interception in the stat book, two interceptions in real life. Um, I, it's just, he, it, the offense has something when, when Sam Ellinger is in there. What I honestly think it is, is that, uh, defenses have to respect the RPOs and the quarterback run. And so with, with Bouchelle, there's an element missing. They're not saying Shane Bouchelle can't run because he you know, took off and scrambled a couple of times, you know, gained 23 yards in this game. But with Sam Ellinger in the game, there's, I can hand it off to the running back. I can drop back to pass and I can run it. So it takes away an element of the offense. So maybe it's not even that Bouchelle is not the guy, but it's, there's just an element that Sam Ellinger brings to the table that Shane Bouchelle doesn't. Now, he did look inaccurate in some spots. He seemed bound and determined to throw an interception on the Duvernay, you know, post-to-go situation. Like, the the refs gave you that one back, so you throw it again and it gets picked off. Um, I'm starting to think that overthrowing Devin Duvernay may be by design because now you've seen both guys do it. So, I don't, I don't know what that is, but... When push comes to shove, Ellinger was 20 of 34 for 184, and he scored 
only got sacked once, which is an improvement over last year. Uh, so he was he was good, not great, and he played good enough to win the game, and, and he got some good performances out of some other guys, but... I mean, clearly there's something missing when, when Sam Ellinger goes out of the game. Yeah, I think, I think you know, some overthrows and just some butterflies getting back in there and some some general rust are, are to be expected. I think, you know, a little choppiness not being as smooth as a guy who's been playing. And, and I mean, at that point, right, Ellinger comes in on a five-game win streak. He's hot. He's feeling it. You know, he's just loose out there. You you have a whole different dynamic. Like you said, you don't have all the things at your disposal. But the one thing that, that upset me watching Shane is like, okay, you're a junior now, right? Like you, you've seen a lot of college football. You've played a lot on that sack that he did have. It was the old Shane of like, Oh, okay. Pressure's coming. Let me try to drop back and beat this. And, and maybe I can make a big play. Like there's a point where you, you, you have to, and I get it. There's pressure coming up the middle a little bit too, but you have to kind of, you, you step up and you fight that as you get more season and you understand where you can fit in the pocket by stepping up. When you have outside rushers, you're, you're not, a high school quarterback anymore. You're not going to beat them by dropping back and sprinting out around them. That's, that's a freshman or, or at worst a sophomore play. Um, and that's the stuff that was a little bit worrying to me was kind of just some of those things that you, you, you hope that there would have been growth. And like I said, I'm not saying he regressed and he's so much worse. I think he'll knock some of the rust off and those things will come. But like if he does end up seeing some more of the field kind of in the coming weeks. Um, and again, we do have a bye week next week, but in the coming weeks, I, that's the thing I'm going to be looking for most is if he's able to make plays that, you know, he's got junior next to his name this year. If he's able to make the plays that look like a junior, like a guy who's had three off seasons, who's played really meaningful minutes in two years, was a full-time starter in one year. Like, you know, look like, look like you, you, you have earned that and you've done the requisite uh, growth that comes with that. So not to, again, disparage him, but that, that to me is where my critical eye will be. Yeah. And you know, for me, it just it feels like I don't know if it was a lack of development or if it was like a like we said early on, they knew Sam was going to be the guy. So he got more reps and more focus. I don't know what it is, um, but clearly, again, you and I have to eat some crow like they made the right decision in in the offense. Definitely looks different with uh, with Sam Ellinger in the game. And another thing that makes the offense look different is a competent running game. Uh, a competent running game makes everything look better, and it they're finally starting to free Keontae Ingram just a little bit. Um, so Ingram, there were some weird spots where he wasn't in the game, but you know he got a season-high and career-high 19 carries for, again, a season and career-high 110 yards, averaging 5.8 a carry. Didn't manage to find the end zone, but that's not his fault. Uh, he becomes the first freshman since Chris Warren the third to go for 100-plus, and then he also became the first Texas running back since the same Chris Warren the third went for 100-plus last year against San Jose State. So what, what did you see about Keontae Ingram? What did you see that the offense did differently or was able to do differently when, when Ingram was was hot and feeling it well I mean I, I think the offensive line looked good um I, I mean they they've looked good all year but I think they they gave him enough holes to get get that first step into and in the thing with with Keontae Ingram that in this sample size it's becoming big enough we can we can say as a part of his game um is that you will always get one if not two cuts and not like superfluous cuts you'll get smart cuts he's not your prototypical 
you know, um, like a Mark Ingram, you know, just think these big kind of bulldozing um, Toby Gerhardt up the middle guys. But he's really, really good between the tackles because if you give him a hole to get through the line, he will always make a cut and make a guy miss. Um, a little bit kind of just off the top of my head makes me think a little of how David Montgomery for Iowa State's been running where, you know, the guy makes a person miss at the point of contact one one time each play, you know, and, that, and that's great. I think Ingram has a wiggle you know, a, a, a kind of slickness about the way he runs um, that I think is is really awesome. And, and I saw a couple runs that, you know, he got tackled up and saw green ahead of him and got frustrated and wanted more. Um, you know, a, a guy with 19 carries and 110 yards should, should uh, you know, feel like he's the king of the world. And I, you could tell Keontae wanted more on a couple of those runs and felt like he had a little more in the tank. And that should be exciting as a fan. I think if the line continues to grow and get better as it has really each game and, and even losing, you know, Vahe in I believe the fourth quarter or in the third quarter um, to a little, little uh, Nick and, and sounds like he's going to be back, but losing him. Um, I was a little curious how, how we would run, but it looked like curse setter slid in and they kind of had um, pretty good, which is, which is a credit to Herb hand, which is a credit to um, the kind of development and buy-in of those guys, you know, where we can lose a guy and just keep ticking. Um, so I think as that line grows throughout this year, and again, thinking in the future towards next year that Keonta Ingram has a chance to make 110 yard games the baseline like that that should be the floor for this guy and I and I don't think that's crazy watching him you know through six games of his career he he looks like the next great Texas running back and I'll talk more about it and bang the drum uh but he just he looks like a guy he does something that I didn't think was legal anymore but he makes guys miss in the backfield which is nice to see, or he, you know, he doesn't go down on first contact, which again, I, sometimes I wish he would go down and stop fighting for yards because somebody's going to rip the ball from you in a key position, but that's neither here nor there. Right now, he looks really incredible. Colin Johnson did Colin Johnson things. We said it before, we say it again. Anytime he's in single coverage, just throw it up and let him come down with it. 11 receptions, so he ties. I think that's the fifth most in a game all time for 132 yards and a score. He just continues to be a matchup nightmare. Like they're the tallest cornerback in the conference. I'm pretty sure he matched up with this weekend who was six, two. So do you see Colin Johnson slowing down at all as Texas goes into its next five games? No, 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 no. I really don't. I see Colin Johnson on a trajectory that, you know, this is, this is, this is it for him. This is the kind of fully realized final version we've been calling for. And I think everyone who watched him play when he made great plays said, yeah, that's it. Now do that. Keep doing that. And he, like we've talked about, he's added kind of the underneath routes, the runs after the catch, the toughness. Um, I think the thing you saw in this game is just, he's a clutch player. He is a safety blanket. He is a player who you can throw to in the biggest situation and be confident in his hands, whether it's a 20 yard jump ball or it's a five yard slant or, you know, it's it's a little hitch route and just he knows he's going to take a lick and and you can know that he's going to he's going to come through. And he seems like a leader. Um, he's a guy who um, I love both him and his brother kind of have a presence on YouTube and make videos and everything. But I've watched a couple of his in the offseason and went back and watched him after this game. Like he's just when he speaks, he was saying like when he gets there, he's the first guy for morning runs every morning. He wakes up at 4 a.m. to make sure he's there at 530 to get stretched in the offseason for morning runs. And, and I think. That type of stuff seems trivial um, if, if, if you haven't played the sport. But when you have a guy doing that who everyone knows has has first day draft pick type talent, but puts that type of work, work ethic in and then you see it start to translate on the field, making the big catches, going up and beating people, you know, making people miss in the open field, breaking tackles. 
catching everything on third down that you need, all of a sudden he becomes the rallying point of the team. Guys are out there, you know, watching what he's doing and putting a little bit extra effort. Like I, I just think the the steps we've watched him make the past couple of weeks um, are the reason that I, I think this is probably his last year in burn orange and, and uh, I think is going to make him a, a great NFL player uh, in the future. I would love if you come back, Colin, I know you listen to this. Uh, please come back. We'd love to have you another year. Um, we, 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 we should never be deprived of the Johnson family. All are the best, but, uh, but yeah, um, what a beast. And I don't want to, I don't want to overlook, Little Jordan Humphrey, because it's really easy to just talk about whichever the two had the better game, and they kind of duel, both having incredible games. But that guy is just tough and smart and always in the right spot. And just having two of these guys, man, this is fun. This is like glory days. Like, I love having guys like this, a roster stacked with two or three just like game breakers. Yeah. And, and one, Little Jordan Humphrey got his rushing touchdown out of the, uh, out of the the jump man package, I think we decided on. That's why I'm officially mm. coordinating it, the jump man package. Um, but one, why they don't run double digs on any down with those two guys is beyond me. Like, <laughs> yeah, just just have them run three yard slants and pick up six yards every down. Like it just seems, that seems like the play that gets you in a fist fight playing NCAA fourteen. Like I just run double digs with those two guys every play and Kyle throws the controller and walks out of the room. Like that's what that feels like. Um, but no, I think Lil Jordan Humphrey continues to be that Swiss army knife. Like they've called him and you know, he didn't have that big of a receiving game as far as numbers wise, but he was another guy that just managed to get some tough yards. It just happened to be Colin Johnson's day. You know, those two guys are literally, they Lil Jordan Humphrey leads the team in receptions by one, and leads the team in receiving yardage by 13 yards. Colin Johnson leads the team in touchdown receptions, and he leads the team in yards per reception. So, like, it's it's a pick-your-poison on defense, and it's really, really impressive to see that. Um, we've got to talk about the defense really quickly. Um, so, it was really impressive um, to see this defense shut down a an offense that was led by... A up and coming guy, Charlie Brewer, who I don't, I don't know if you knew this, but he, he's a Texas legacy and Texas didn't offer him a scholarship. I, did you know that? Uh, you know, it, they said it about 6,432 <laughs> times during the broadcast on, uh, it felt like Rod Gilmore said this on Twitter, researched one thing and just beat that horse to death. Uh, and then when the horse died, he found another dead horse and beat the dead horse with the dead horse um, <laughs> is what it felt like during the broadcast. Um, but, oh, man. But no, so the Texas defense, they, get, they only gave up 17 points, which when your starting quarterback goes out and your offense needs a little bit of a boost, the defense giving up two touchdowns and a field goal making a last second stand is what you need. So what did you see from the defense that you really liked and and what was the key to victory for them on, on Saturday? Well, I think the key to victory was turnovers. It was that our man, SEUC's finest Cibolo seal stand up greater shirts, Cibolo area, central Texas, Caden Stearns, the wolf of DKR as predicted on this podcast. We said Keontae would have a hundred yard game. I, Podstradamus myself. I said Keontae would have 100 yards and Caden Stearns would have an interception and Texas would win. 
went three for three. The man had an incredible um, interception. I'm not saying that was the only play in the game that the defense made that that, that made a difference, um, but it was a game changer. And I think winning the turnover battle is something that Texas has to do. And I, I mean, if you count all of Bouchelle's interceptions, um, they didn't, but the rest gave us one of those back. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think that was I think that was big. I think the defense needed that. I think um, the whole. I don't want to say the whole, a majority of the secondary played really well. I think Stearns played well. I think Boyd had a good game. I think, you know, you can go all the way down to Jones, Foster, um, both looked really good. And, and I think BJ Foster is a guy we should talk about at some point about how they use him when he's almost a de facto linebacker uh, and coming on blitzes and playing in the opponent's backfield. He's been unbelievable this year. Like he might be our second best linebacker coming from the safety position, um, which is saying something, but um but yeah, I mean, there, there was some holes in the defense. I think, um, I think PJ Locke had another tough game. Um, you know, I think, I think Wheeler had some spots that he made some plays. He also had some spots where he missed some plays. I think we're starting to see some of that Big Twelve offense be not to his strong suit uh, at times. And so I'll be curious to see if our linebacking rotation switches up at all or if he's going to really get, you know, all the snaps uh, in the game. Because I think he and Johnson really played the whole game um, and, and didn't come out. So, I mean, I think I think in, in those areas we, we showed strength. And, and I know you had some notes on the defensive line, but they were great as well. I think our defense as a whole stood tough. I mean, you're in the Big 12. Um, if you hold an opponent to to less than 20 points, um, even if it takes the last play of the game in your own red zone doing it, um, that's good. That should be good enough every game of, of, of the conference week or the conference season to, to, get a, to get a victory. And the defense did um, everything that they needed to do. We, we talk about, you know, the Baylor was able to, to do some things on offense. They held Baylor to 2.6 yards per rush. Yeah. You know, they had sacks, tackles for loss. Baylor only had 88 net rushing yards. Granted, 12 of those uh, lost yards came on sacks, but uh-huh. that's fine. But, you know, I keep talking about Charles Omenhu every week because the guy just has emerged as a force to be reckoned with in the passing game. Like, he decided to come back for his senior year, and he clearly made the right decision. So, you know, it, looking at Chuck statistically – he is 100% the guy who's on the receiving end or the, the, uh, of what Texas is doing off their defensively along the line. He's had you know, five sacks. Five of the six sacks this season came in the last three games. Yeah. Texas has 12 sacks. Chuck has six of them. Mm-hmm. He has 42 of the team's 85 sack yards. There's only one other player with multiple sacks. That's Gary Johnson who has two. Um but really the thing that impresses me the most about what he what he's done is that of his six sacks this year, uh, four of them have come on third or fourth down, which it's huge get the team off the field. Yep. Like that's that is that is so impressive that he he's able to pin his ears back. Now, those have been, you know, on average, it's been nine and a half yards to gain or more on those uh, third or fourth downs. But his ability to turn it on when the team needs it and to get the defense off the field has really been a key to success. And, and part of the reason why Stearns is able to come up with these interceptions is because a quarterback's on the run. He makes a bad pass and Caden Stearns playing center field like nobody since Earl Thomas. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, Stearns is a guy he's got, he's, he's leading the country right now or tied for the lead with four interceptions and, and, um, you know, tied the freshman record. Uh, Chris Carter and, and Quandary Drake share that. Uh, like you said, four off the, the Earl Thomas eight year, which is, you know, the best. So we'll see how he does, um, on that. But yeah, the reason you can be that guy and you can roam like that is when you have Omenu and, I, and to credit to Chris Nelson, who, who, um, you know, has had a, a fantastic campaign, has really lived up to being the senior captain. Um, and Breck, who, you know, has been maligned through the season, has had some times where he put some pressure on. Um, you know, I think we, we both laughed about, you know, the look on his face when uh, when a, a running back is assigned to block him. You're just that's that's a bad day. Uh, that Thor winking gif was great that, that you boasted. But uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, it was third downs. They they held him to 47 percent on third downs. That's 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 what you need. Um, it was, you know, getting it, getting a turnover um, on basically a center field play where you, you go over and, and, and make a big jump ball interception. Um, you know, I, I think the defense did everything uh, that you need. I think Baylor helped us out a little. Um, I think 10 penalties for 92 yards. Um, if you tell me that you hold Baylor to, to those types of stats on defense, 2.6 yards per rush, and, and, you know, I think their passing was under 250 yards at 50%, you know, I, I, and have an interception, I assume that Texas wins the game by 25 points. You know, I, that's just... That's that's what I you know how that sounds to me when they have that type of penalties against when Texas doesn't have that. Um, but again, we talked about the offense. There was there was there was a change that didn't quite uh, come together as as you know beautifully as it should have. And, and sadly, our, our beautiful beautiful boy uh, Dicker the kicker uh, regressed a little bit and, and missed a couple in the second half that could have could have you know made things different. And uh, for e- the interception that didn't happen for for. You know, Bouchelle, there was also a fumble that didn't get called, you know, that, that Texas could have picked up and had a clear path, uh, you know, to, to the house. So, I mean, there was plays in the game that could have changed it either way, the dynamic. But you know what? At the end of the day, it was it was a it was another test for a defense where they had to steal. They had to get tough. They had to play the red zone. They had to make a few stops right at the end. Baylor had basically three shots at it and they did it. They muscled up. They grew up. They they put in a man's performance, grown man's performance, and got out of there with it with a victory, ugly or not. It's a W in the stat sheet, and that gives you just a little bit of a little bit of pride in your chest, knowing we did it when we needed to, and that might come in handy in another game that's maybe more of a shootout where you know you're playing not this week but previous weeks one of the best offenses in the country in West Virginia. You need that that in the back of your mind. And they've done it against, um, you know, a few teams this year. They had the USC kind of goal line stand early. They, they've had some big plays. And I think this Baylor play will be another play that they put in the repertoire, just keep in the back pocket to know that they can do it. Cause it's, it's one thing to coach it and do it in the off season and believe in yourself, but it's another to go out there and win a game and, and you shouldn't have been put in that position, whatever, whatever they needed to win it. And they won it. And the defense, you know, should, should feel good about themselves uh, going into this bye week. Absolutely. So Texas enters that bye week number seven in the AP poll, moves up two spots within striking distance of that top four. They own their own destiny. Sam Ellinger diagnosed with an AC sprain, a level one, which according to Dr. Twitter says that he should be throwing by Friday and ready to go for a night game, 7 p.m. at Oklahoma State. So we'll see if Texas can keep the train moving in after the bye week when it heads to Stillwater. So once again, we have the distinct privilege of bringing on the man, the myth, the legend, Cody Daniel, on to talk some recruiting. Cody, and how are you doing today? It's always better when I come on here. I, I just, 
I show up and all of a sudden I'm just I'm just so flattered, man. Thank you for thank you for having me. <laughs> you know, if if anything, I'm here to gas you up, man. So we'll talk some recruiting and then you know we're we're gonna talk a bit of uh, what the season looks like moving forward. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on that while we had your time on your on your calendar. So um, since we've last talked, Texas picked up a pretty big commit, uh, David Benda, who's a four star linebacker out of Cinco Ranch, uh, big time guy, guy that had been trending Texas for a while but then things may have gotten weird towards the end. So, Cody, what does a guy like Benda bring to the table for uh, for the Longhorns? Yeah, I think uh, immediately, I mean, he's he's a bit undersized for a linebacker. Um, he's, like, he's like 6'2", I believe, around 220. Um, he's, but that, obviously, when you when you hop in the Anthony McKnight strength and conditioning program, that's, that's going to change pretty quickly. But he's going to have to bulk up. But he, for being undersized, he, he's extremely quick. He has, I believe, like a 4'3'6 shuttle or something. Um, I think long term, as Texas looks for answers in the linebacking corps, uh, I think he's a guy that maybe by like halfway through his sophomore year, something around there, could start trying to get major reps at like the rover. I, I think that's where he would fit best because of his skill set. He's not the biggest dude, but he's fast. He's he reads and reacts extremely well. Great motor. I mean, he's he's a guy that'll kind of remind you of Gary Johnson. Not quite that athlete, but I, I think that's where he'll end up finding his role and since there's not much depth to speak of behind that depending on how quickly he develops he could see the field sooner than later yeah and that was going to be my next question is you know texas doesn't have a ton of depth at, at linebacker you know you've got um Dele and osai that came in this year um but really you know cam townsend it's a ton of upperclassmen though so do you think benda is an early contributor or do you think he's a guy that hopefully can take a, a red shirt year and develop I mean, I, I think ideally you would like him to do that. Like, um, I was talking to our Joe Hamilton the other day about that. Uh, I believe you'll see next year, depending on how the staff wants to do it, because they're losing Wheeler as well. Um, so I, I think you're going to see either Roach or um, Roach or McCulloch, one of them at the B-back or the other at Mac. I think Roach is obviously the better fit there. Right. And with uh, Adeli stepping in, you have uh, – I think that's going to be the guy. I mean, he's he's built like a junior from Alabama already. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that dude is massive. And uh, the the only thing really – I mean, I, I think the, the injury preseason kind of hindered him getting on the field early. But um, I, I think he's going to be the guy that steps in next year for Wheeler, depending on what the what the staff wants to do with, with Roach and them. But I think that's going to be your three starting linebackers. And however they, they choose to play it. I mean, I know McCulloch was getting getting reps at all three – uh, as the reserve throughout spring, so right, I think it's going to be fine. Where where you're, where uh, Adeli and and Roach fit, and it's kind of stick McCulloch in the other spot and pray for no injuries. But if I mean, I, yeah. he's definitely going to see the field early. Long story short, it's just I think their starters will be in place, but they're they're going to need young linebackers to contribute pretty early. And that seems to be the case on, on defense the last few years. Hopefully these next couple of classes, maybe a, a Juco guy uh, can fill out some of that depth. But uh, speaking of depth, Texas is still in the mix for some big names out there. Uh, one of the biggest, possibly the biggest that's still on the table for Texas is a guy like Trey Sanders, who is, I believe, the number one running back in the country, if I uh, yeah. recall yeah. correctly. Uh, so Texas has been in the mix. He's been an Alabama lean since basically uh, the womb, but crystal balls and predictions and things are starting to uh, shift burnt orange. So what's what's the lean for for Trey Sanders? Are there any indicators that things may be shifting in, in the burnt orange favor? 
I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear that that he has interest in the program. Otherwise, I mean, you're not you're, you're not going to pay on your own dime to come out here and multiple times. Um, I think the winning the parents is what's largely been reported. Um, if, if Texas is going to get him, they have to get his parents on board. And being from Florida, and then obviously the former Bama commit, his parents would like him to stay closer to home. Um, but the guys at and I. I'm I'm not in those conversations. I don't know, but the guys at the football brainiacs have been pretty insistent on previously reporting that Texas was quietly in the lead, and then after the Oklahoma game, which um, somebody talked to a, a source close to Sanders or a source involved in that recruitment, and they said we're going to get him. So I like that. Yeah, I mean, I. This is recruiting. Crazy stuff happens. I think the key for Texas there will just be when you're recruiting against uh, when you're recruiting against Bama, you you need to keep winning, man. And it would help, um, which I'll be writing on this week. And I mean, let Keontae Ingram go crazy. Like, Absolutely. let. I mean, when you look at the depth in the backfield, um, Daniel Young has kind of been buried. Tennille Carter Carter's already been buried. Like, for a guy like Trey Sanders, who's the number one running back in the country, and to see Keontae Ingram getting getting the bulk of the reps now as a true freshman, you have to feel you can come in and compete for that. And I just think the key for Texas is keep winning and let your running backs look good. Oh yeah. And I mean, I, I think Trey Watson's had a great year, but if you can immediately come in and replace his workload immediately or give that section of the workload to Ingram and give Ingram's kind of first few weeks to, uh, to Sanders, all of a sudden you have something of that assembly line that, that Texas has had in the past, but you think of with an Alabama right now or, or some of those Georgia uh, teams. So, I mean, I, that's awesome. Like this is, this is, this is a sign. I hate to say it, but uh, at least on the recruiting side of things that Texas could be trending in that, in that direction of being back, we've had a couple, couple misses, a couple down years, but I think uh, getting key guys like this, I, Trey Sanders to me is, is one of the, the bell cows that says, uh, you know, where Texas ranks in, in an 18 year old's mind, uh, you know, amongst the elite, truly blue blood programs, because it's been so long since we've had that number next to our name, uh, at least as low as it is right now. I mean, and another thing is when when you mention like being able to recruit with that, you if you're able to land a guy like Sanders and you stick him in a backfield with Ingram, then those multiple running backs start to come in the future because they're like, Man, look at those two dudes. They're both hitting a thousand yards in a season. I mean, obviously, yep. like not next season because they still have development. But by Ingram's junior, Sanders' sophomore season, I mean, if if that were to happen, you could easily see Texas just letting them take, just letting them run wild. That would almost surely be the strength of the offense. And then when you can start having that kind of success, and if Texas keeps winning, that's that's what running backs want. They want the ball and they want to win. If you had to compare him, well, real quick, if you had to compare him to a running back, is he is he like a Keontra Ingram? Like slippery? Is he? I mean, I don't think he's a Daniel Young type with with that much power. Where I mean, how do you how do you grade him out in that in that game? I don't really have like an exact comparison, but he's an extremely complete back. He he's more of the guy that that you'll get. I mean, he, he's an Alabama kind of back. It's sure. It's exactly why he was formally committed there. Yeah, he, he's the kind of guy that he can he can break away on the outside or he can just hit the hole and pick up six yards consistently or Ingram's more of the, I mean, it's like he, he has three cuts on every carry. Um, right. Sanders is more of a, he, he can do that, but he'll also lower his shoulder and just run straight into a linebacker. And gotcha. I mean, it, it would definitely be like that ideal thunder and lightning kind of combo, except Sanders has a little more lightning than that, that saying would give him credit for. 
Uh, so the, I mean, the other thing that I, I've been I've been talking about on this podcast for a while, and, and I think I asked you the last time, and I need an update is is my man Brew McCoy, the other kind of big five star on the board. Any uh, any updates? Any word on on how he's trending? Still burn orange? Yeah, yeah. So um, this is what I'm thinking. This is my mindset on this at this point. Uh, shout out to EJ Holland. He's he's been on that one pretty tough. Um, him and Mike Roach actually put their crystal, and and he was EJ and and them have been really hesitant on putting that in, like. Hey, I'm not, we're not there yet. This is not where this is heading. And then those crystal balls have come in. So um, whatever they're hearing behind the scenes has them feeling good. Um, I know the family finally, like, I, I don't know if it would be any pro- program, but they're comfortable with Brew leaving and coming to Texas. He obviously loves it. Growing up a USC fan obviously isn't, I mean, there's that's, that's hard to recruit against a California kid who grew up a USC fan. So yeah. I mean, I think if you're a Texas fan, what you need to root for is USC to stumble. I mean, after after the the Texas right. after the Texas loss, they've they've ripped off four in a row. Um, so that's I think what 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 could open the door and potentially seal it for Texas would be USC just continuing to slip and Clay Helton's job insecurity. I mean, it at this yeah. point it's pretty clear Herman isn't going anywhere. And right. I know I'm rambling, but I don't know if Texas is doing this behind the scenes, but I would say get jake smith in on this recruitment he's a guy who committed to texas over usc get him in bruce ear about why texas is better than usc and really the opportunity to have be on the field with those two guys at the same time i mean the success of colin johnson and little jordan humphrey in this offense uh two guys that have pretty complementary skill sets i mean smith is kind of all over the field so i think that that's a genius move. They, you need to get, you know what? Give this man Brian Carrington's job. Just do it. Yeah, man, bro. Car- Carrington is killing it. I mean, he, he's a big reason why some of these kids are are enjoying themselves on campus. But I, I don't know. That's that's going to be one of those ones where it's just keep doing your thing. I know Texas is trying, but he's already had his official visit for the USC game. Right. Texas is trying to get him to come back out for an unofficial before his commitment, and I guess it's. Texas fans need to start living it up for Pac-12 after dark and hope USC drops a few. <laughs> hey, I mean, it, if, if Clay Hilton's on his way out, that pretty much seals the deal. Like, at this point, I mean, they they can say other teams are involved, but this is pretty much a Texas-USC race, so. USC's been close. I mean, Texas has had a couple nail-biters, but USC, even their, even their, their uh, better teams, they, they, they seem to uh, squeak by each week. So one of those has to go the other way, you would think. Yeah, I mean they have they have Notre Dame at the at the end. I mean, it, with the way Notre Dame is playing, you would kind of assume that's going to be a loss. Although Notre Dame, like how how people criticize Texas for sneaking past K State, they barely beat Pitt with the right. final exact same final score. Right. Um. But yeah, just the the Pac-12 just isn't really worrying anybody this year. I mean, they, I mean Utah is going to be a tough game. That could be one. And is Helton still around if they drop to eight and four? Fingers crossed for now. So it, it's not just it's not just football recruiting. We actually got some big news on Monday. So Texas got a pretty massive, both literally and figuratively, commitment uh, from four-star center Kai Jones uh, from Brewster Academy in New Hampshire. Uh, big guy, what do you you know you you are the basketball man as well. I mean, it's in your email. So um, what what does Kai Jones bring to uh, the hardwood for Texas? Yeah, I think he's a guy who tremendously versatile, especially with where he's wanting to go with his game. He's trying to become more of a shooter, trying to become a better ball handler. At 6'10", I mean, he's listed as a, as a center, 
he's not a center. Texas isn't recruiting him as a center. Right. And I mean, he, he he tweeted that he wants to be a great shooter. Like if and, and KD is his favorite player. Right. Like I'm, I'm not saying like by any means making that comparison, but I think he's a guy that by the time he gets to campus, he he he's not going to be just here. Just stick him in the paint, big man. He's he's going to be a lot more like. I'm trying to think of a comparison, maybe like a Jared Allen, but quicker just in terms of like the, the size, but the ability to step out. Yeah. Although I think he'll be a bit quicker. Um, and what's interesting about him is it's, he's still so much of an unknown product. I mean, he was six, five, two years ago. Now he's six ten, And here when he was playing in Orlando, that was actually his first year in the States. He was on a team with Nasir Little, who's at uh, North Carolina now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ronaldo Segu, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Who's, at Buffalo and four-star power forward CJ Walker, who Texas is also recruiting. So, I mean, he was on a loaded squad and didn't really have the opportunity to just showcase his skill set. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean that and that kind of came out in the in the spring, and then he he went from basically unknown to nearly thirty offers within a month. So, I think he's a guy that by the time he gets to Texas, I mean, he could he could probably be a top twenty-five prospect. Well, and he's one of those guys who's climbing up, like you said, people's boards. Shaka seems to have some pretty good luck getting the late bloomers. Like he, I don't know if it's just good good scouting and he gets in there right at the right time, but we've had a couple of those guys the past past few years. I mean, is that uh is that a that's in, that's got to be intentional, right? That's part of Shaka's game plan to uh, to look for those guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think it is because I think that's something that he innately had from his time at VCU. Right. I mean, at, at Texas, the recruiting has still been impressive, but even before him, Rick Barnes was a monster recruiter. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I think for him trying to get his guys, it's just first he's he's just naturally looking for those under the radar guards. I just think that's what he does, and then getting in on them early. I mean, like you've seen with with um. Matt Coleman, for example, he was recruiting Matt Coleman since since uh, middle school, and Duke wanted him bad. If, if yeah. Duke was a point guard, you know you have someone special, and that was, I mean, that was a big reason why he landed Matt Coleman because he established that relationship early. Right. And beyond that, I think a lot of credit needs to go to Darren Horn. That man does a phenomenal job of developing big men. So I think when, like, I mean, I, from the videos and pictures I've seen of uh, Jericho Sims, who I'll be seeing right. in person within the next week or two. Um, I mean, he came in extremely raw, and he looks like a grown man now. And yeah. that's just – that's been Darren Swan's thing. He, he gets those big men ready to contribute at a high level, and I think that's kind of why you're seeing a lot of big men coming. I mean, Texas is extremely front-loaded in the front court right now. Well, and if you look at big men who can shoot, it's not just KD. I mean, you look at Miles Turner. The guy shot, what, like 36% last year from behind the three? I mean, he's developing a pretty, a pretty elite kind of that – big man who can shoot game stretch four stretch five type thing. So, I mean, I get it. I'd love to have those guys at Texas. I would love for that to be uh be part of our, our DNA and MO. I think that would make for fun watching for sure. Yeah. Shout out to, to miles Turner. He just got an 80 million, $80 million bag today. So that's what the grind yeah. gets you. I mean, that's, that's about what they pay us here to do the Longhorn Republic podcast. So we, we welcome him to the ranks. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, don't let that out. That's that we've been dodging the tax man for at least 18 months now. But, hey, hey, <laughs> hey, that, that, that's with bonuses. Right, 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 right. (laughs) We want to get your opinion because we're going to do some more of this, but Texas is at the unofficial midpoint of its football season. It's it's the bye week, which usually comes 
after week six, we're in week seven, so whatever, we'll call it the midpoint. So we did a little bit of talking pre-show, but what's what's your opinion on the next five weeks and how Texas can can close out the season? Where do you see us when we're when we're twelve games in, looking at a potential Big Twelve championship and all those good things? Yeah, I think for Texas, there's going to be two extremely key points. Um, I've been writing a lot about Texas checking boxes, and the one that hasn't necessarily happened in my mind at least consistently like yeah they beat Iowa State last year yeah they beat Baylor yesterday but can Texas now that its schedule is pretty much on a on a downward trend I mean you got Kansas Iowa State like teams on paper Oklahoma State slumping this year they've lost three or four teams on paper especially now that Texas is number seven you're gonna say they should win right can Texas avoid that hangover of thinking hey we're gonna beat them now because we're a top 10 team and can Texas not slump against the lesser teams like it has against, you know, uh, obviously Maryland twice. Last year against Texas Tech to close the regular season that kind of made it, hey, that going into a bowl, another losing season is very real. So I think that's going to be the thing. Um, not playing down to your competition, continuing to be hungry. And then how does this team handle success? When Texas played with a chip on its shoulder, it was, we're not Texas yet. And it's like all of a sudden, hey, you're going to start having, I mean, <laughs> You, you've seen the, the, the media frenzy since the Red River showdown of Texas is back. And so I'm like, no, the Texas isn't back, man. They can easily falter if Texas just thinks it's going to win. So right. how does this program handle success? I mean, the one in Omatra sounds good, but those players have to know, hey, we're better than we've been in a decade. So, I mean, you've, just like we saw with West Virginia, you, you think you're going to show up and win because of the name on your chest and you're going to get smacked which is kind of how Texas got in this situation in the first place. Let's just be real here. It's been about a decade of that. I do love the, the team's mentality, though. I mean, I, I think that that culture has been instilled. Like, even from the uh, the post-OU press conference, there was pretty much that, that mentality where they were – and I, I can't, couldn't spit out direct quotes at the moment, but pretty much is that, hey, we haven't accomplished anything. Those those Brecken Hager saying when he was asked by uh, Alex Loeb if Texas is back, he said the only thing we're back is back to work tomorrow. Right. right. I mean, Keonta Ingram just had a hundred yard game. He said, I'd give myself an F. I missed so many opportunities. Like if the entire team is on that same, Hey, we're still slipping mentality. Then I think it'll continue to progress because talent has never been the issue, but just don't get complacent. Cause that's easy when all of a sudden everybody loves you and you're the talk of the town. I love that. And that's been that's been Herman's thing all years is trying to say, hey, nobody else matters outside of this locker room. And we say there's still work to do. So it's it's interesting to see that. Uh, man, Cody, thank you so much for for carving some time out, man. Where can folks find you if they want to get some more of what uh, what you've got to sell? I mean, of course, you know, what I'm saying I, I, I spew horrible words on Burnt Orange Nation um, <laughs> but, and they come in bulk. But if <laughs> If you feel so inclined, I'm at Cody Daniel SBN on Twitter. Awesome. Cody, thank you so much, man. Always a pleasure to have you on, brother. Always a treat. No problem. Looking forward to partying with y'all next time. Yes, sir. All right, man. Before we move on, I do want to remind you about the Texas X's Houston Chapter Annual Texas Off Week Golf Tournament. It's this Saturday, the 20th. You can still sign up for this tournament at Wildcat Golf Course. If you do, you'll receive a player gift of a 32-ounce Yeti Rambler, a sleeve of logoed Pro V1 golf balls, ball markers, tees, koozie, and divot tools. You'll also be entered as a part of the raffle, including the marquee raffle option, which is a trip for two plus hotel stay for two days at the 2019 
U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. Kyle, you and I have talked about this already. I'm terrible at golf, but I would sign up just to go, just for an option at being a part of this raffle. They're also raffling off a VIP experience at the 2018 Texas Bowl and four tickets to the Houston Texans game versus the Tennessee Titans. Now, you do have to be present to win those raffle items. There'll be a silent auction that includes tons of autographed Longhorn gear, including a signed 2005 National Championship banner. As part of it, breakfast, lunch, and snacks, plus plenty of adult beverages will be served. Now, to sign up for the party on the course, go to TexasXs.com. Make sure you dress up in your burn orange best and come hook them. So we mentioned earlier, Texas is heading into a bye week, but we want to talk a little bit. It's it's the unofficial midpoint of the season. So, you know, we are seven games in. The bye week usually comes six-ish, but whatever, it's fine. Uh, so we're going to treat this as the unofficial midpoint of the season. Texas sits currently alone, first place in the Big 12, which is incredible. So it's their season to lose. Here's what they've got left on the schedule. Uh, their first game out of the bye is a 7 p.m. kickoff at OSU for homecoming. It is the weekend before Halloween, so spooky stuff could happen. Then they'll welcome in West Virginia first weekend in November. They'll travel to Lubbock against Texas Tech. Hopefully that's a day game. They'll welcome Iowa State to Austin, thankfully. And then they'll close out the season in Larry Lawrence, Kansas against the Kansas Jayhawks. So, Kyle... What what does the last five games of the season look like to you? How do you think it's going to shake out? <laughs> These are, I mean, we talked about the 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 pointy end of the spear uh, being the front half, but this uh, this might not be the meaty end of the bell curve, but this is still this is still scary. Um, this is a winnable five games. You know, and, and that might be the scariest part about it. Texas on paper should be better than each of these teams. And, and if they play their best game, like Tom Herman has been saying, they should win out. They should win all of these games. Uh, West Virginia obviously is the closest thing to a toss up and they get to play that one at home. So home team gets the, you know, runner goes to the home or tie goes to the home team. You know, they get the slight advantage in that one if uh, if it's a toss up. But um you know, I, I think, like you said, having to go to Stillwater at night, um, having to go to to Lubbock, which, dear Lord, please let that be a day game. Um, we do, we we don't need that in my life. Um, I mean, it's just it's it's a murderer's row of weird, the weird part of the Big Twelve, right? Uh, Lubbock, one of the weirdest places. It's a place that Mike Leach seemed perfectly normal. Um, you know, Iowa State. We've talked about the trip to Ames is is ungodly. You know, West Virginia. If you have to go there, it's like playing on Mars. Um, Kansas, obviously, the, the hardest team to beat in the country. Um, you know, it's uh, it's traditional rival Kansas is how we end the year, but uh, you know. Oklahoma State has 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 gone either way. They they've looked really good, and then they've played some opponents that maybe uh, prove them to be not as good as we thought. And they've had some internal turmoil, and they don't really know uh, what their best uh, kind of package to run on the field is right now. Which may be a good thing for the Horns um, in the bye week to kind of get ready, but it also may not be because you don't know exactly what you're getting. I think obviously the marquee matchup will be West Virginia, and then the one that scares me the most, honestly, if I'm gonna admit it is is texas tech in lubbock um i think they're going to drop one of these i just do i just think in my heart of hearts that they it's a tough schedule still remaining and they drop one and that texas tech one jumps out to me jumps off the page as the most likely um and it's going to kill me if that's the case but you know what what do you think i mean five and oh for you i think again 
I, I thought it was bluster early on, but I really I'm bought into the fact that if Texas plays at its best, it could compete with anybody in the conference that I'm fully convicted and convinced of that. Uh, the stat that really jumped out at me, Bill Connolly at SB uh, at SB Nation. He's kind of like the stats guy. He's he's the he's the numbers guy. He threw this out there today. Um, Texas's average scoring margin against S&P plus top 50 teams. They're 13.7 points better. Against number 51 through 130, they're 3.3 points per game better. (laughs) So I don't think it's going to be West Virginia or Tech. I think it's going to be OSU or Iowa State. If it's going to be anybody, it's going to be one of those two schools. Like, it's not going to be if Texas loses one of these games, it's going to be dumb. Like I, I said it going into the Baylor game. I said it in a in a post. I said it on the podcast. I felt like this was a game that Texas loses in a dumb way, and it almost did. It almost lost in a dumb way because Sam Ellinger went out. And so, if Texas loses one of these games, this is a team that very clearly gets up for the big games and mm-hmm. has something. I don't know if it's them not getting up for the for the lesser games. I don't know if it's just a them playing down to the level of their opponents. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be, it's going to be a silly thing that costs them if anything. And again, if they can manage to get up for these, these games that it should handily win. Like I said, OSU is a game that they should handily win again at night. Homecoming weekend for the pokes is worrisome, but again, corn dog is going to throw four interceptions and it'll be fine. (laughs) West Virginia coming to Austin, Iowa State showed you how to beat West Virginia, and Texas does it better than Iowa State. Texas can run the ball. Texas has better receivers. And if Ellinger's in the game, they're going to control the clock. And so I I think Iowa State gave you enough tape to show you how to beat West Virginia. And I think Texas does it better. I think Alan Bowman still only has one lung. So I'm not super convinced that that Texas Tech can can beat you. So really, Iowa State, thankfully coming home to, to Austin is great. In Kansas, if Texas loses to Kansas again and it sinks a shot at a college football playoff, which again I'm saying it, you can tweet at us, whatever. I I will light myself on fire. Like I will do it. I will absolutely do it. Uh, it's just if if Texas plays like it should, they should win out. They should. They should be able to play OU again, probably for a conference championship. And that's that's whoever wins West Virginia OU is going to be the other team in the conference championship game. Uh, And so hopefully it's West Virginia, because I think if OU plays Texas again, that game, they have a better defense. So Texas maybe doesn't score 48 points. Uh, So it's it's I think Texas has a legitimate shot of winning out, playing for a Big 12 championship and possibly having a number five next to their name uh, heading into the bowl season. Yeah, I mean it's it's a uh, it's 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 a nightmarish scenario where you're you're like the Vietnamese monk and have to light yourself on fire. But I know you're a man of your word, Jill, and I appreciate that about you. But I, uh, you know, I think that obviously the, the sunshine pumping timeline is five and zero. The darkest timeline for any community fans out there might be three losses uh, out of this, and it shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be. But you have to acknowledge the fact that Texas has um, has won off of um, having. A turnover advantage, having, you know, averaging that. Kansas has also won any, any games they've won by, by, I think, still leading the country in that that metric. But, you know, and there's going to be some of these quarterbacks who throw a lot, who, who Texas will have the opportunities. But, you know, like you said, you saw against Iowa State, if you only let 
West Virginia, which is an absolute machine, hadn't trailed all year, run 40 plays when they averaged 65 uh, a game. And you just don't let them do anything. You just choke them. You strangle them. And that's that. That's a little worrying. You know, again, an injury, we've been able to control the time of possession. Maybe uh, an injury on the line or somewhere else. You, you see an opportunity where all of a sudden we're out of our game plan. We can't run the ball. Whatever it is, I just think there's always that chance that um, – that it could go sour, and I want fans to be ready for that. I think it's maybe just the syndrome of the fact the last time we were ranked number five was coming off the national championship game. We were all sure Garrett Gilbert was going to get us there again. Um, and so it's a little bit fragile. But I think you're okay to beat your chest a little bit here, Longhorn fans. You earned this. You earned a top 10 ranking. We've gone through some down times. This is Tom Herman delivering a good product and you, and you need to enjoy it. Cause I think it's tough um, for fans who are in this weird place, you know, 11 and one was kind of a sarcastic refrain after we lost to Maryland, but Hey, it's college football. It's dumb, stupid, crazy stuff happens. That could very well be the thing that happens, which is stupid. And, and I love it for that. Um, but you know, there's also people who, who have been absolutely positive in each of our big games and our little ones that we, we had a way to lose it and, and, and you know, squirt this one away. But I think, Find your happy place somewhere in the middle where you can you can cheer on this team for their best you know performances, but you also don't allow it to crush your soul if something bad happens. Um, but you know, I, I, again, my pick is I think I think we'll go four and one in this, but man, I hope I'm wrong and we go five and zero. Oh. I could see it going both ways, but what are I guess what are some things? What are some trends? What are some uh, statistics you're looking at that that kind of make you make you a little leery heading into these last five games? I've got some. I know you have some. Yeah. So I mean, one that I'm looking at is just you look at the you look at the defense, and we we spent some time during the Baylor game talking about how they they showed up and they did what they needed. to. To. And each of our big wins, they've they've had some some big plays. And but you look at a couple of our closer games, and they look tired in the fourth quarter. I mean, OU that twenty one points in the fourth quarter is because they just look gas. And so I look at the defensive rotation, and it's kind of shrunk. Um, it shrunk to a point where it's really maybe like fourteen guys that that see the field on a consistent basis. And you have your linebackers guys like Gary Johnson, who I don't think gets off the field. I think the only breather he's got all year is on a suspect targeting call against Maryland in the first game. You know, and he got to t- he got to rest for a half, but not by choice. Other than that, the guy hasn't come off the field, um, and you just wonder at the end when you're you're chasing Tech and West Virginia um, and in Oklahoma State around um, you know what toll that takes when you're when you're when you're thin like that. I think back to our championship teams and you really legitimately probably had 20 guys in there. You probably um, 18 every game saw the field. You know, you just had a base 11 unit. You had a couple guys rotating at line. You had a, a linebacker, you know, at least a, a spell where you had some people come in and looked at different packages and you had a defensive back rotation. And Texas has tried some guys, but they've shrunk that rotation with who they're comfortable with so so i just wonder is that going to come back to bite us if we're that close to the playoffs and if we are looking at these big bowls at the end of the season when fatigue starts to become a factor because you have a quarterback on offense who's played before this game every snap you know you have some some positions like that where we know we're really good at the top but do we have depth? Do we have the ability to weather a blow um, like losing Ellinger, you know, for a game or like losing any any of our, our marquee guys? And that's tough to do for any team in the country. But do we have that depth? And like I said, for me, I specifically look on that defensive side of the ball. And maybe that's where some of those, you know, really heralded freshmen come in and, and get a chance to to earn their stripes or, or whatever. But I, I just hope. A, it doesn't come to us needing that, but B, if it does, that you know we have the medal um, in those guys who who haven't got to see the field a ton, just because Orlando has chosen to kind of uh, keep it keep a tight knit group there. Um, so yeah, what are you thinking? And uh, for me, it's the other side of the ball. 
a little bit. I think uh, I feel. I mean, they've gotten the job done with with those fourteen guys. So I, you know, it worries me for next year. I think a little bit more than for for the end of this year. I think the thing for me that really is worrisome um, is just the offensive production seems a little off. Like other than OU, and and maybe this this is just again the team being able to play to what they need to, but. The offensive production, one, Texas has only scored 17 points in the fourth quarter all year, which is problematic. And two, they're only averaging 3.7 touchdowns a game. They're averaging 18 points. 20, I guess if you count the extra, if you count the extra points, they're averaging 21 points uh, from touchdowns on offensive game, which if it turns into a shootout, it's not, it's not going to happen. Really, if you average out, um, Every game but the Baylor game, because we'll kind of toss that out a little bit from uh, because of Ellinger's injury. Texas is literally scoring four touchdowns a game. Four against Maryland, four against Tulsa, four against USC, four against TCU, two against Kansas State, six against OU. So if you add those up, divide by two, you get four and four. Yeah, that's uh, that could be problematic. I mean, here's what I'll say about the 17 points specifically. I think that's a little bit of a an outlier of a stat. Not that it's not true of our fourth quarter production i think we had at least two drives if not three tulsa i'm thinking of a couple games um usc and tcu all where we we probably could have at least got a field goal or or pushed for a score but we were able to get in the victory formation we were able to choke a game out so maybe there's a little bit more meat on that bone but i don't think you're wrong i don't think you're wrong at all about the fact of the overall production we have to score more i mean you're not going to win in the in the big 12 and truly against you can't just call it a big 12 thing you look at ohio state um they're scoring some points i mean you look at uh some of these teams across the country if there's a Pac-12 team, though I don't think if we're talking playoffs that that's really you know what you need to worry about. But but I mean even in the SEC, I think Alabama averages 50 points a game. Good God! But uh, you know you're going to have to be able to put points up. You're going to have to find a way to make that balance work to where you're 35 is your baseline, or or you know on a really good typical Big 12 team, probably 40. You want 40 points. And and, and again, we have a good kicker. He's a freshman though, so I, I don't really want to rely on game winning kicks every game um, for for the 18 year old. You know, I, I just I don't want to put that type of pressure on a kid. Um, so yeah, I think I think one. I'll go back to the five. I think my my bold prediction is one of these five games. Texas finally puts their foot on the throat of a team that they should beat. I think that happens once. And I think that will change the mentality of players, of coaches, of fans, of anyone associated with the program to see it and to know it, that they can do that. So that's my, that's my new bold take as Podstradamus that one time they're going to, they're going to put the foot down. So which one TBD? <laughs> I would love to see it against Oklahoma State. <laughs> Just started off strong. Yeah. Keontae Ingram goes for one, one seventy five and three scores we just go for it. I don't think oh, that's yeah. actually the number that he'll put up, but you know, if he continues to go over a hundred, he'll put up some impressive numbers. We'll talk more about that and bang the drum. So yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting close to the season. Again, Texas goes on a buy. They're relatively healthy. Ellinger is the biggest injury that they're dealing with outside of the guys that are out for the year. Um, so he's got two weeks to recover from what should be again, according to Dr. Twitter, a five day injury. So that'll be nice. So hopefully Texas can can at least 
take this momentum, be healthy for the last five to six games of the regular season and, and put together something special. I think one, one note on that is I think that we'll see how good the, the Texas, um, it's not the PR department, it's the opposite of that. I guess uh, secrecy and uh, of the dark arts or whatever, the, the, how well they protect their information will, will be will be very interesting because with this bye week, there's a long time before we find out exactly where where Ellinger is and exactly who the quarterback is going to be. I mean, I think if there's any injury risk, they don't necessarily rush him back because they have to think big picture. So it, it, it could be if it's a, if it's a full two-week injury and he's at 80% that they suit him up, but they let, let Bouchelle run the offense and they game plan for that. So I'll be very curious how much leaks out. Um, I'm going to be watching like a hawk for any, any nugget of, of information I can find over the next couple of weeks. But I, you know, I think that Oklahoma state um, game coming off the bye week with a, you know, injury to, to Sam is, is the, obviously the most intriguing and interesting and um, clenching of, of body parts storyline that, uh, that the Longhorn faithful will, will be dealing with. So we're going a bit long this week, so I'm just going to hit some basketball notes really quickly. The NBA season, how the heck is it NBA season? But it, it tips off this week. You got 10 Longhorns on rosters, including the one-and-done guy, Miles Turner, who signed a massive, massive contract extension, 72 mil plus eight more in bonuses that he could hit that's a woge bomb from this afternoon so big ups to the man in the bucket hat i'll never forget that commitment it was incredible <laughs> um andrew jones the comeback story has a bit of a setback uh, he has a fractured toe in his right foot the reports are he's out indefinitely he on twitter said it's not indefinite we just don't quite know when i'll be back yet <laughs> we'll be in your corner cheering for you andrew uh we can't wait to see you back on the field but now is the time of the show where we honor one of our favorite traditions in all of college sports, Big Bertha, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. You can follow him on Twitter at Joseph R. Ruiz. One, we're banging the drum. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? You know, I was going to bang the drum just on the the literal drum of money that they were going to wheel back to uh, to our man, uh, Miles Turner, but good for him securing the bag. Uh, I think Cody mentioned it, you mentioned it. So I, I went a different direction. So I was um, didn't get to watch a lot lot of uh it was my company retreat this week i watched the baylor game with my uh girlfriend who is a baylor alum so for that point i was like you know what that's my football for the weekend i got a victory i, I win the house this week um, but i did catch a little bit of, of one particular game that's it's you know near and dear to our hearts as we said it's the nfl um you know it's saved by the bell college years but the nfl version um it is it is the the longhorns up in the pacific northwest though they did take what i believe must be a very very long flight this week um, um, both both teams from the West Coast met in Wembley, um, and I'm a big soccer guy, so I was excited. I always love our Wembley games uh, over there. Um, there was the Seahawks, um, or the Seahorns, as I've been calling them, uh, taking on the uh, the Oakland Raiders, uh, Las Vegas Raiders, um, and the Marshawn Lynches over in, in across the pond. Um, and there was a couple things of note in that game which I really wanted to bang the drum for. So there's a guy who we ride hard on this podcast he may have been our original like this is the guy that this podcast loves more than anyone else um puna ford puna there it is uh puna ford had his first career tackle uh this week and and he, he still has not had a tackle on american soil uh take that for what you will but he had uh, he had two of them uh this week for the seahawks so it was fantastic to see him getting getting plays and making the most of that and i think you will see an increased role uh for the uh the tiny giant um 
The other awesome, awesome thing that just warmed my heart, maybe even more than the Puna step, just because it's been a journey, um, is Tyrone Swoops. Um, got his first career catch. I mean, it may be his first career target. Um, he had one target, one catch, 23 yards um, in, in that game that the the Seahawks won. And, and so... Uh, it just, it was awesome. It was a great, great feeling. A kid, you know, who, who has such an up and down career, who had, you know, there's all the stories, of course, about, you know, who we could have had, the recruits that we didn't go after because we went after him. And if that changed the trajectory of the Texas or whatever, whatever. Tyrone Soups was our guy. He had some incredible games. I, I still remember the OU game that he almost single-handedly won for us a couple years ago. Um, uh, you know, the, the selfless transition to kind of be a, a package quarterback and, and, and do those things. And now the transition to tight end is, is seemingly um, extending his career. And so it's stories like that that make you love uh, a guy, you know, a player who, who has the Texas values of like, I'm going to do what's best for the team and I love the sport. And so I want to do that. Um, and of course, I can't overlook um, the best Longhorn in the NFL. Sorry, Earl. Sorry, Justin Tucker. Sorry, uh, Derek Johnson. Sorry, all of, of you. The best, clearly, the best Longhorn in the NFL is Michael Dixon. Let's be honest here. In uh, the original Dicker the Kicker, the punter from down under, had uh, two punts, uh, both, uh, both down inside the 20, uh, 86 yards on those, one of which was a 50-yarder. And uh, even in the, uh, I'm sure, heavily saturated uh, clouds hanging about 12 feet above the field as it looks bleary in, in England every time I see a picture of it. Uh, he was still able to punt through the storm and uh, and show show those uh, show those Brits how you actually kick a ball. It was uh, it's so cool to see so many Texas players concentrated on one roster. It makes it easy for me to follow the NFL as an admitted not NFL guy. I just look up the Seahawks and see how they did. It makes it really, really easy for me. Uh, so I'm banging the drum. I'm going to backtrack a little bit and talk about uh, Keontae Ingram. So Keontae Ingram, we've we've been banging the drum on him all year, but Following the game against Baylor in which he rushed for 100 yards for the first time in more than a calendar year for Texas, he gave himself an F so far this season. Now, I am admittedly a bit too hard on myself, I will say it, Um, but even as someone who beats themselves up over a lot of things, giving yourself an F on the season that you're putting together is a bit... Uh, is a bridge too far for me. So let's just look at let's just look at the stats for uh, for Keontae Ingram. So he's 97 yards away from becoming the 10th true freshman in school history to go for more than 500 yards a season. So that to me, pretty darn good. If he hits his average for the year, which is just 67.17 yards per game over the next five games, he's going to finish with 738 yards on the year, which would be the eighth best season from a freshman running back, true or red shirt, behind Malcolm Brown's 2011 season, which, if you don't remember, Malcolm Brown is now playing in the NFL. Uh, so I'm not, you know what, I'm gl- I'm all for, like, hey, I can do better, I can do better. Like, be do not give yourself a break. Work as hard as you possibly can, but you've got to give yourself a little bit of credit. Uh, you are setting yourself up to have an incredible career. If he gets a hundred yards over the next five games, he's going to go for a thousand yards. Like I, I don't. That's probably not going to be the case. But he's going to be he's going to be knocking on the door. If he if they feed him like they did against Baylor, Texas isn't going to face a really really stout run defense outside of Iowa State. And so he could potentially, if you give him 19, 20 yards of carry, 
again, this may be pie in the sky and it may be drinking too much of the Kool-Aid, but he could come up with 70, 80 yards a game and be knocking on 750, 800 yards in a year, which would just be insane. So, Keontae, I know you feel like you've left some yards on the field. I get it, but, dude, you are about to have a special season, so give yourself a little bit of a break. I would say the F stands for funky, freaking, I didn't have a third F, but I'm going to say freshman. There it is. Got it. Boom, on the spot. Funky, freaking freshman. Keontae... I love you, man. I love that this is your your absolute worst that you're going to do in your career, and every year you're going to be better, and you're going to be uh, Priest Holmes, Jamal Charles, et cetera, et cetera, obviously Ricky, um, and, and be a, a NFL great after a long and distinguished, Cedric Benson, long and distinguished uh, UT career as well. So uh, funky um, freshman uh, phenom that starts with a PH, but I'll go with it phonetically, uh, Keontae Ingram. I was gonna. I was gonna go. He's he's just going for for Lil Wayne, where the F is for phenomenal. Uh, I, <laughs> that just feels right to me. But that's all the time we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can find me over at Barking Carnival, my weekly column, the Texas Pregamer, as well as on Twitter at. Texas pregamer. Check it out. You can find me on Twitter. I am at GH. Go to follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. I'm back this week on my nerd podcast. You can check us out. Two woke nerds will be breaking down Venom and the latest trailer for Glass. So you can check us out. We'll do that on Wednesday morning. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them by week. Bye.